we're finishing up our, our series, this volume of our series on the praying church. I talked to so many folks who are desperate to learn how to grow in their prayer life, how to make their prayers more effective, how to, you know, just not an exercise in spinning your wheels, you know, or just being stuck. So many folks just feel stuck in their prayer life. In, in, in a word, how to pray better prayers. We want to pray better prayers. Uh, speaking of which, how many of you remember our challenge from a couple of weeks ago about praying daily to the Lord of the harvest? Anybody? How's that going for you? Yes, some of you. I, I know some of you are, are really into it and doing good because I'm hearing from you. Others of you, I can tell, you just went, oh yeah. I, forgot, I just remembered that. Yeah, that was a daily challenge. The Lord praying to the Lord of the harvest, asking him to bring those workers into the field and watching as he forms us into those workers, right? Uh, so that's good. Hey, it's all right. Start today. You can start today. Um, but, but I believe as we talk about these things, as the more we talk about these things, these things enter into us, they enter into our souls, and they start, to, they start to form us. They start to affect change in us, right? The other day, I was taking my uh, beautiful, sweet little girl to school. I get to walk her to school. And uh, the other day I was taking her to school and, you know, we were kind of talking about her day. We do a little prayers. We go there and we get there. I'm doing the little, the pass off to the, on the front porch of the school. And I say, I love you. Have a great day. Be nice to your teacher. Listen, you know, all those little last minute things that they're not listening. But she turned around and she says, Daddy, may the Lord be with you and bless you. And she walked away and I was like, what in the world? The little, I'm raising a little priest. I have to get her a, a collar. It was so... It was so shocking. Like, I think she's like one of the four people watching the, listening to the podcast or something. <laughs> like, where did that come from? May the Lord bless you and keep you. My goodness. I wanted to like just grab her and take her back home. Uh, okay, so today we're going to be talking about something really important. And um, I'm excited about it. I have a lot to say. So I'm going to be talking kind of fast today. One of these fast talking days. So you have to listen. Um, I'm really dependent on the prayers of my home life tribe to support me in this one uh, with their prayers. There's one super important idea that we have to establish before we dive in. When I say we're learning, you know, learning to pray better prayers instantly. I know, I know some of you instantly, your mind immediately went to, yes, we're going to get a better formula for getting God to do what I ask him to do. Right? I mean, it's natural. That's, that's what I would be thinking too. And 95% of like the books you read on prayer or the seminars you go to or the sermons you hear on prayer, what we're looking for is how to get God to do what we want. How do I get God to start doing what I want? And I'm just here to tell you, that's not what we're after today. Now, I know that's kind of like someone telling you, I'm going to give you the best recipe you've ever had. And you're like, yes. And then they tell you, and it's vegan. And you're like, ugh. But why, why are we not talking about that today? The reason why is because the primary purpose of prayer, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want, but to be formed by God. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want, it's to be formed by God. Maybe the most important thing I'll tell you today. And yes, God wants to uh, bring, he wants us to bring him our request. He wants to meet our needs. He's a good father. He's given you authority, right, in this world to use your faith. But the primary primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want, but to be formed by God. And before you think, well, that's kind of a bummer. I actually want to let you know that this is the key to surviving and thriving in this world that we live in today. Why? Because the world we live in today, the world that you have been born into is broken. And were you born into this world? Yes. Are you part of the stuff of creation? Yes. So the world is broken. That includes your brain and, and your will and your desires and your fears and all. And, you know, and just getting salvation for our soul does not fix your brain. And so we need to gain proper spiritual formation because, well, we are unformed. We're unformed, right? We're, we're like little babies. We're, we're born and raised in this culture where we're surrounded by consumerism and individualism and secularism and tribalism and materialism and superstition and all those things. And it frames us in the wrong way. We have been handed a wrong script from birth. It's not your fault. You didn't ask to be handed the wrong script. You know, it doesn't make you evil, it makes you human. And it's just, you're raised in this culture and the television and the, you know, the interwebs and the books and the movies and the entertainment, the media and the politics, the air we breathe, as it were, forms us in a way that scripture says is, belongs to the culture of death. It's part of the culture of death. And to be citizens of the kingdom of God, 
which we talk about in here a lot. That's this new humanity that, that God is creating in the world to step out of that, is to step out of that culture of death and into the light, into the age of Christ. That is what we step to, out to do. And to do that effectively, we must be reformed, reframed, renewed. Not just the world around us, not just the circumstances around us, which is what usually our prayers are, are directed towards. We must be reframed, reformed, renewed. We're, we're, you know, you weren't born um, uh, from your mama able to walk and talk and take care of yourself, were you? Right? Uh, Zach and Pam's brand new little baby, I think they would objectively say is the, is the most beautiful baby ever born. And already we can tell it's the most brilliant baby, of course, right? Paula and Mike, I know would agree with that. The most brilliant baby ever born. But you know what? For some reason, it can't walk and talk yet. It still can't take care of itself. I don't know what it's waiting on. I mean, it's four days old, but it still can't do these things. Well, you and I are born again knowing how to do, spiritually speaking, diddly squat, right? That's the Greek word. And so, and so we're prone. We're prone in our, in our consumer-oriented culture to to think that prayer is just this kind of like letter to Santa, right? Uh, we're just like, dear Santa, I've been a pretty good boy, so, you know, give me these things, our list of wishes. And that is based on the assumption that all that's really wrong with us is that I don't have the things that I need. See, we automatically come to God with that assumption. Here's the things that are wrong with me. I don't have these things, right? And, and if I could just coerce this all-powerful being to giving me what I need, everything will be all right. Here's the fallacy of that. You don't know what you need, right? My kids don't know what they need, right? I love them, but they're idiots. They don't know what they need. They, they need to grow. They need to be formed, even to know what to ask for, right? This is the power of prayer, and look, we would like to think, I know we would like to think, and this is kind of what the message we give people a lot today. God loves all my prayers because they just reflect the real me, right? Like guys, guys, God is just really, he loves everything I say to him. Because um, like when I pray, I just get really real with God. Um, guys, well, here's a fact. Our prayers do reflect who we really are. And that's the problem. <laughs> right? That's the problem. Because without being properly spiritually formed, our prayers will just continue to reflect the, the immature, selfish, greedy, angry person that my flesh is still sometimes. Right? A selfish person is going to pray a selfish prayer. A greedy person is going to pray a greedy prayer. A manipulative person prays a what? A manipulative prayer, a fearful person is going to pray a fearful prayer. It's just, it's who we are. It's what's coming out from the inside. So I'm just vomiting up whatever's on the top of my head to God because he's going to be so impressed with how authentic I'm being. Well, that is not necessarily good news, is it? We can't leave prayer to just our own imaginations. We need some help. We need some formation. We need some instruction. We can't trust our, our unformed brains or just depending on our feelings to pray properly. So this is what we mean by the term formative prayers. If you hear that phrase, you've probably heard me say that before, formative prayers. That's what we mean by that. These are prayers that form us, that, that really shape us. Um, and it's funny, 95% of, of the, the instruction out there and the stuff that we want to learn about prayer, 95% is really about getting God to give us what we want. 5% may be about the formation. And I would say that's probably flipped to what it should be. It'd be kind of like if grade, and you know, you kids who are in grade school, you have kids who are in, you know, one through 12. If for 12 years, they just learned like how to spend money on the coolest stuff. Well, that, would, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't help them very much, right? But what do they learn? They're learning like how to become functional human beings, right? They're learning stuff. They're learning history. And in the process, when they're all done and they're functional adults, they learn how to spend their money. Hopefully. I don't know. Um, notice what Jesus was asked. We've looked at this scripture a couple times. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, teach us how to pray in Luke 11. I want you to notice what Jesus does not do. What Jesus does not do is is this, which is really common, which is the way I do it, and, and I've done it before too. You know, Pastor Scott, te 
teach me how to pray. Well, it's easy, you know? I mean, you just talk to God. You just talk to God. Just tell God what's on your mind, whatever it is. Just talk to God. It's not that hard. Notice Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you know, just talk to God. It doesn't really matter what you say as long as you are sincere. Just tell him whatever you want. It's interesting. The more I've studied this and the more I let God convict me over this and these errors that I've made too, the idea that all prayers are equal as long as they're sincere. I know I'm rattling some cages a little bit. It's okay. This idea is really a very modern concept. It's a very modern concept. Um, it's very common today, but if you look historically, it's very uncommon, right? So our ancient brothers and sisters historically would look at this sliver of the modern church and say, y'all are weird. This is really different. And it comes from this sort of post-liberal, I don't know, individual-obsessed way of thinking about prayer. His disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus does exactly what they expect him to do. They do exactly what a Jewish rabbi would do with their little yeshivas, their, their schools that they followed, their disciples that they would follow them around. The, the, the rabbis would teach their disciples how to pray, not by giving like some vague esoteric idea about prayer, you know, as a concept, like they were a Zen master or something like that. No, what the rabbis would do is teach them to pray by giving them prayers. They would give them prayers, which is very helpful, right? They would compose a prayer and say, you'll learn to pray by praying this prayer. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He does what he expects them to do. He gives them a prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. And our, so our ancient Christian brothers and sisters, they knew that prayer was a formation. It was a, it was a practice of formation. It is, it's kind of a quirk of our postmodern world, the fact that I, I, I need to make this point. I have to coax along some of you. Um, because this aversion to, to praying something that is not just a spontaneous prayer out of your own creation, like you're, you get points for being extra creative. It, it's, it's a modern thing that I have to address that at all. So when Jesus answers the question, he says... When you pray, say. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And you know, I still hear people ask, uh, do, do you mean to say that Jesus actually expected us to pray this prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's totally what he meant. He would not have entered into the mind of Peter and John and James and, and Andrew, all the rest of them, that Jesus meant anything other than, here's the prayer, I want you to pray. He's answering their question. Now, again, it's this sort of modern phenomenon that we think, well, he must have meant something else. No, he meant for us to pray the prayer. Now, yes, the prayer is beautiful because it is also a framework to build and expand upon, right? And that's what the church fathers and thinkers and leaders have done ever since. We just expand on this beautiful, perfect prayer. He gives us a perfect prayer. And remember, these are the words of the word made flesh. This is the word made flesh, and he speaks this out. And it works on us perfectly for spiritual formation. And by the way, you notice when you go through the Lord's Prayer, it also addresses your needs, doesn't it? Give us this day, our daily bread. Lead us not into trouble and trial and tribulation and temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from that evil one. But more importantly, when you're praying, you're being formed in a healthy way. Formative prayer is like the clay yielding to the hands of the master sculptor. Formative prayer is the clay. It's yielding to the sculptor who forms us to be formed. Amen. Just a, a point of transparency, you know, why, why am I on this today? Uh, I stand before you now. I'm 51 years old. I know I don't look a day over 50, but it's true. I don't know where the time went. I'm 51. And probably for 35 of those years, I was really bad at praying. Can I just be honest with you? Um, I was not any good at it. I loved Jesus, and I, I prayed, because you're supposed to. And I, I did it. It's not that I didn't pray. I prayed. But I didn't know how to pray very well. And I, and I wanted to pray. Um, I worked at it. I read books. I listened to sermons. I used all the popular phrases, you know, that we do when we pray. But it just felt, it, it got to where it, some of this so prayer for me just, it felt like one note. It felt thin, shallow, right? It was just like, ugh. And I listened to good faith-filled teaching about it. It's nobody's fault but my own. I'm not blaming my upbringing. I, I had never been taught, or I had never learned, I never listened maybe when it was being taught, 
to use, I had been taught how to use my faith when I prayed, but I hadn't actually bothered to learn how to pray, how to engage with prayer itself. You see what I'm saying? For me, prayer was sort of like just the, it was just the thing, it was the means by which you use your, your faith to get God to do what you want him to do, right? And prayer was like the taco shell, right? Just get the stuff in my mouth, right? It wasn't the important part. And I cannot tell what I want to share you today, share with you, is, is how this has so transformed my prayer life. I, I, this comes from a place of, of joy and love. I'm telling you, I can honestly say without exaggeration, this information has probably saved my faith. It saved my spiritual walk. It has saved my ministry. I'm just telling you. I don't believe I would have survived uh, much longer on the sort of just shallow understanding that I had of, of what prayer was. Um, I definitely wouldn't have survived the last few years what has been wrought in our culture, in our church, on our family, uh, without. It is, only, it is only through Christ and his, his, his faithfulness, his grace and his mercy and his, his formative power in my life through prayer, unleashed through a relationship with Christ through prayer. It's only through that that I stand before you today. And so please understand this too. What I'm sharing with you today is not, uh, is not a replacement for praying spontaneous prayers, okay? I mean, we're charismatic. We pray spontaneously. That's, I'm not replacing that. I'm not saying, no, don't do that. No, no, no. It's not a replacement for that. When we talk about incorporating these kind of prayers in your life, I am not, I repeat, I am not taking spontaneous prayer or conversational prayer or the prayer that just comes from your heart. I'm not taking that away from us, okay? I'm not removing the ability and the room for the Holy Spirit to move in your prayer time, to speak to you and you to speak just beautiful new things to God. I'm not removing that absolutely for God to speak in some special unplanned way. I know I'm still going to get an email saying that that's what I taught today. <laughs> Everybody, raise your hand if you heard me say I'm not replacing prayer. Okay, when I get the email, I'm sending them to you. I see your hands. I'm going to say, you go talk to, to all of them. Tracy, she said, she saw me say that. Um, okay. What I'm offering you today is something you add. We're at, think of it like that. We're just adding it into our prayer life, okay? This is a tool for our tool belt, okay? We're adding it into our existing prayer life. And if you do it, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it'll bless you and it will have a positive effect not only on you, but it will actually have a unexpectedly huge effect on those spontaneous prayers you pray. That's really the, the amazing thing that I found happens. It has this effect on those spontaneous free-flowing prayers that I, that I pray uh, because now those prayers aren't springing from this unformed, immature, you know, unchrist-like mind that's just always trying to like think of the most creative thing to say, or think of a new way to say the same old thing. Now they're, they're springing from this transformed creation, right? A renewed mind. Let me show you a scripture. This is really cool. Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you turn there. One of the most common objections I run into, especially in our circles, we're evangelicals, if you're wondering. Um, common objection we run into, because the objection I had to growing up, was this idea, it's kind of planted in us from an early age, I think, uh, that praying pre-written or composed or ancient prayers, it just feels lifeless. That's a, the, the word we used is that's that dead religion, Right? That's that dead religion stuff. Or when you, you know, if ever, uh, sometimes in here I've had pe people say, whenever I bring up the word liturgy, suppose you just like freak out. Something in their brain just freaks out about liturgy, right? Liturgy is not a bad word. It's a good word. It's a Bible word. It means it's usually translated worship or a service to the Lord, uh, ministry to the Lord in the Bible. Um, but it just means the work of the people. It's like the thing you do. It's, it's the, the, the steps, the structure. Anyway. Uh, but, but I understand, because I came out of this too. And, and we get this like instant little, mm, so, someone's trying to like turn me into a Catholic or something like that, right? And that's like, I, I understand, that's like a no-fly zone for a lot of folks in our circles. Because it just looks too foreign. It's like, that's, a, that's foreign. That's different, strange. It's weird. I don't know. Now, other folks, I fully understand too. Some of you sitting right here today, 
It's the opposite effect. So when I say some of these things, it, it brings up these like triggering memories of maybe the church you grew up in. Maybe you, you grew up in a Catholic church or Episcopal church or Lutheran church or one of these kind of more liturgical style churches. And so when you hear these kind of things, you talk about a pre-written prayer, it also can like sort of strike you wrong, right? Because it immediately brings to mind, you know, those days of like endless recitations of things that were lifeless and didn't mean anything. You just said these rituals without any feeling. And I sincerely uh, sympathize with that. I really do. And I understand if for some of you, if this is like, uh, that's, that's too close to what I feel like God like saved me from, understand, just, just, just spit out the bones today, okay? You don't, you, don't, you don't have to worry about this. There may be a time for you where God brings you full circle into a more healthy way and brings back some of these practices to you, but, but don't even worry about it yet. What we're talking about here today is is not performing dead rituals so that we stay on God's good side. That's the definition of religion. You perform a ritual to stay on his good side. We're also not talking about performing some incantation so that our prayers will work. That's magic. We're not into religion or magic, okay? We're into relationship with God. We're into him forming us, becoming more like Jesus. We're here to help each other become more like Jesus. What we're talking about here today is it's basically just a structure. You can think of it like a lattice that you put up. You have a lattice on the side of your house. We had one on the side of our garage. And every season I would cut down all the stuff because some of the, the, you know, the weeds and the plants would grow and they start to like grow into the siding and the, the bricks and stuff like that. And so you're like supposed to remove all that because it's spiritually bad for your house. And then like a season later, there'd just be these more, more would just grow right up this lattice, strong and wild and just this beautiful thing. So you can think of these prayers as like the lattice. Praying uh, pre-written prayers or, or composed prayers is like laying down train tracks for our prayer life. You know, these train, you ever seen these beautiful trains that like go through the Swiss Alps and they're like, some of them are on like a precipice, you know, and they're like gorgeous views. Can you imagine like just driving a train without any tracks, just trying to like go across country in your train? That's not going to work, is it, right? It's not, especially, it doesn't work. Prayers form a structure. They guide us where we need to go. Uh, because the primary purpose of the, the formative prayer is not to get God to do what we want God to do, what we think he ought to do, but to be properly formed. To be properly formed. Just like we talked about last week with praying the Lord's Prayer uh, or singing worship songs, this goes for the same thing. Spir spiritual practices, disciplines that we can start doing in our life, these things are neither dead nor alive. There's no dead practice. There's just dead people. The practice is not dead or alive. It is, it, is, you could, it is the person who is doing the praying. You can take a living person and connect them with a very healthy spiritual practice. Oh man, and you've got fire on your hands right there. They, they, can, they can be properly formed and they can grow into a place where they can, they can then begin to pray these beautiful, improvisational, creative, spontaneous prayers, but they're praying them well. It's coming from a different kind of place. Okay, Acts chapter 2. I told you we we're going to look at this. This is talking about the early church. This follows the day of Pentecost, so the church has been birthed. It's this beautiful time, and this just describes in a nutshell their practices, their daily practices. We find the believers devoting themselves to four things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The birth of the church they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the, the apostles' teaching on Jesus. Remember, at this time, there are no gospels. There's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can you imagine? And the church is exploding, and there's no like gospels to read. So what do they, how do they know about Jesus? The apostles are teaching them, because they were right there. They're getting it firsthand. The apostles are teaching them the teachings of Jesus. It says they devote themselves to fellowship. That's the understanding that salvation is not a solo project. It's something we do together. So there's the sense of community. It says to the breaking of bread, that's actually the sacramental Eucharist, what we call communion, right? They're, they're taking communion together. The fourth thing they devote themselves to, notice, is the prayers. Not prayer, the prayers. It's a definite article in the plural, the prayers. Um, nearly all of the more recent translations translate it correctly from the earliest manuscripts, the prayers. Some earlier translations will say, prayer for some reason. But notice the difference here. What the Greek says is the prayers. And the difference, one is abstract, 
right? You really have little idea what they're doing, except that they're, they're praying. They're just praying. Okay. But when it says they devoted themselves to the prayers, well, then our first question, of course, becomes, well, what are the, the prayers? And it's not a mystery, it turns out. We know. We know what the prayers were. First of all, they were the Psalms. They prayed the Psalms. The Psalms were the, like the Jewish prayer book. They used them as a prayer book for both the Jews and the early church continued to use them. Secondly, it was the prayer that Jesus had given his followers known as the Lord's Prayer. So the apostles have taught the Lord's Prayer now and it's spreading through the church like wildfire. And then it would have been the prayers that the church itself had already begun composing. We know this from the, from the early writings, right? They're already composing these prayers and passing them around and sharing them and they're saying them together. Just like Christians today would compose worship songs, right? We sing these songs. So they're saying the prayers of the Psalms, the prayer of Jesus, and the prayers of the church. We see uh, in the writings of Paul, He's already reciting from the prayers and songs that the church had begun composing in, his, in the communities. He begins this letter to the Ephesians, um, just this beautiful thing. It's, it's based on an ancient Jewish prayer form. Uh, I won't read through this now for time's sake, uh, but it, you can do it in your home life groups or on your own time. But go back and read it. It's just beautiful. Um, in chapter 3, it ends with a very familiar doxology uh, that he uses in five of his letters. He uses the same doxology. Over in Colossians chapter 1, it contains one of the most beautiful creeds. I think Mel's memorized this thing. It just it struck her so. And it's just the most beautiful creeds about Jesus. And they would recite this. And the church was already just saying this together. And they would come together and say it together. And in their prayer times, they would, they would say this. So Paul is quoting something that would have been familiar to them. He's not just writing something just on the spot. Um, it, it was already in circulation. So these things were being passed around the churches. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see the early church devoting themselves to the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer, and the prayers of the church. And then we see in Acts chapter 4, we find the believers, they're lifting their voice in this mixture of prayers that are from Scripture, from prayers that they would have all known together, and spontaneous prayer. Just that unscripted, in-the-moment prayer. Well, the fact is, we need both. We need both, right? We need the formation of the prayers as well as the spontaneous expression of, of improvisational prayer. Both of them, they're not pitted against each other. It's not choose one or the other. They both, they dance together. This is, this is the, the prayer revolution that I have seen in my own life. I have a passion, I'm just telling you, I have a passion, folks, for... for, for for people that I come across and, and folks that I know right here in this room, and I'm, I'm seeing them right here in this room, who the hardest thing for them when it comes to praying is knowing how to pray and what to say. How to pray and what to say. And the thing is, guys, it's not supposed to be that hard. We've made it really hard. But the reason we've made it hard is because we've told new Christians, just pray. Just pray. That's like telling somebody who has never picked up an instrument, just pick, just put on a guitar and shred a guitar solo like Derek or, or Daniel or something, right? It's not hard. Just, just solo to God. <laughs> and they don't even know how to pick up a pick or make a G chord. You know, I mean, it, that's what we're telling people to do. The disciples themselves who walked with Jesus night and day, they ask him, how do we pray? And what does he teach them? Does he, does he teach them the third verse Metallica solo? You know? No! No. He, he teaches them how to make chords. He teaches them how to make the chords from which every song is written. That's what he teaches them. Now I'll tell you another way, another reason this, these prayers will save your life. Have you ever gone through a season where it just feels like all your prayers are just dry? Like they've just lost their spunk. You know, they're just, you're like, I've gone through these things. You know, you just, you're going through these seasons and you get up and you're like, okay, I know I'm supposed to like, okay, 20 what? 20 minutes of prayer. Here we go. Lord, help me have a good day. I don't know. Bless everybody. I know. Take away the bad stuff. Give me more good stuff. Amen. All right. 20 minutes of that. Should I just say that over and over or what? That might be called a vain babbling, right? No, yeah. I'll tell you, one of my, one of my spiritual heroes is a pastor named Brian Zahn, who I own, owe such a, a, a debt to, um, who 
for his insight into this subject. Brian Zahn's awesome. He's, he's a spirit-filled guy. He's charismatic. He's like from our tribe. He's on fire for God. Uh, but he also got this revelation on the power of incorporating ancient prayer. So for those of you who have ever like encountered these times where you were so overcome, maybe by the weight of life, you're unable to come up with something to God. Maybe you're going through a season of depression. There's, you know, your physiological seasons of depression, you just can't even hardly invent words to make them come out of your mouth and you feel like you're supposed to. There's just, there's nothing there. It just feels like so pointless. Brian Zahn says this, even when you can't pray, you can say your prayers. Even when you can't pray, you can say your prayers. And these are what he's talking about. He's talking about these formative prayers. Someone else has done the heavy lifting for us, guys. Right? Amen? These prayers have been handed to us like a gift. They can sustain our prayer life. Even in moments, we can't think of a single creative thing to say. And by the way, that is not the purpose of prayer anyway, is being creative. Amen. Oh, I, th- I think we misunderstand sometimes the place for spontaneity. Spontaneity is great, but there's a place for it, right? And uh, so we can worship it. We can sort of idolize it. Um, when I come home at the end of the day and my beautiful wife says, Oh, bug, I'm so glad you're home. And I'm like, oh. She says, so she, so like, how was your day? I was like, oh, peanut. It's better now that I'm with you, right? Aww. I may have said that for the 10,000th time. It doesn't mean like our love is dead. It doesn't mean, no, it's because we are finally back together in that intimate space of togetherness, right? That place we both want to be. And we've developed like that internal language, that rhythm. It's like an inside joke between friends, right? Like, an, like a sweet endearment spoken between lovers. It's just, the, it's a, these ancient words that I utter to God every morning as part of my prayers. They settle me into this place of intimacy in relationship with the Father. Because I know who He is and he, I know He knows who I am. Amen. For others of you, I know you, maybe one of your greatest fears is just losing, like, is, you know, not being able to pray from the heart. And I just want to tell you that's not going to happen. So Brian Zahn says, he, he says, prayer from the heart remains at the heart of prayer. Prayer from the heart remains at the heart of prayer. So that's not lost. But in fact, it's just the opposite. Because when we submit ourselves to these life-giving, Christ-centered prayers of the church, prayers that have been handed down to us over the centuries by brothers and sisters who've gone before us. These guys have, these guys have fought the spiritual battles, right? They've gone before us. They've created the words and the phrases by the unction of the Holy Spirit. They, these phrases have stood the test of time. And then we began to gain the capacity to pray well spontaneously. Pretty soon, you're doing more than just practicing scales and chords, right? You are shredding like Guitar Hero, right? In your prayer life. But those words now flow from your soul and they actually reflect the spirit of Christ and not just the spirit of a baby banging its pacifier on the table, right? That's what we want. Listen to the beauty, the power of this prayer Early Christians would have prayed this. This is from a Syrian hymn. And they would have prayed this prayer every morning. Listen to this. Some of the, this is so great. Death. They would, they would get up in the morning and they would pray this together. Death had laid its snares for our humanity, but he in his mercy came to rescue us therefrom. Praise be to the Lord, the angels. The sight of thee has brought joy to the unfortunates of hell. From that time, night has been far removed. Night has vanished, for his light is risen upon his creatures. So they're, they're praying this as the sun is coming up. Like they're, you can just picture it. He has come down from the heights and set us free. He has gone up again, and behold, he is seated at the right hand of God once more. They burn to go to meet him at the time of his return. They all, all they who waited for him, faithful to his name. He entered into hell and brightness of his light, scattered the darkness from the souls, departed. The fruit that Adam ate had slain him. The fruit that comes from above descended for his salvation. For he has broken, opened the tombs, and restored the dead to life. Mystical figure of the day of his power, it approaches. It is coming. The day of resurrection. Come on, can I get an amen? Happy is the one who waits for it to come. Great is the day of his coming when all things that are hidden shall be revealed. 
Those who lie in darkness shall hear his voice. On the day of resurrection, they shall go forth to meet him. Adam is restored to life and seized with admiration. He returns to the domain of utter felicity. Woo! Come on. Come on, man. You want to tell me that our ancient brothers and sisters didn't know how to flow in the spirit? Oh, my goodness. That is some theological goodness packed in there right there, man. Mm. Oh. I have become a prayer nerd. This is like the stuff I get excited about now. See, see, this is what they would pray every morning. That's going to start your day off pretty well, right? Because when we pray this, what they're praying right here is this spiritual mystery that even though things around them look scary, Christ has already restored the planet. The planet's just catching up, right? This, this forms your soul rightly. Here's another prayer. This is attributed to Augustine. Everybody's heard of Augustine, 4th century. This is like 16, 1700 years old. Look upon us, O Lord, and let all the darkness of our souls vanish before the beams of your brightness. Fill us with holy love and open to us the treasures of your wisdom. All our desire is known to you. Therefore, perfect what you have begun and what your spirit has awakened us to ask in prayer. Mm. We seek your face, turn your face into us and show us your glory. Then shall our longing be satisfied and our peace shall be perfect. Mm. Now, here's a similar objection I, I can, you know, I can already detect in the air, you know, even though I, I don't think I'm a prophet, but I can detect this. But Scott, where's the room for the Holy Spirit? Right? How, how, Pre-written words, doesn't that put the Holy Spirit in a straitjacket? Well, let me ask you a question. When you came together here this morning and you belted out your favorite worship song or you're in the car and you're listening to KSBJ and the Holy Spirit, was he suddenly hamstrung because you already knew the words to the worship song? Was he made impotent because you didn't make those words up? Or actually, does a new worship song gain power the more you learn it, the more you memorize the words and don't have to look at the screen. Does that worship song actually gain power as it becomes to be internalized and they, those words begin to form you and you can draw on them like from a well, right? You begin to internalize those words. They move you to the core. They shape your soul. They change your outlook on a situation. Prayer is the same way. How is that possible? How is it possible that words that you did not compose can be offered to God as worship, and he considers them valid. He considers them heartfelt. Did we come in this morning at 10 a.m. and say, welcome everybody to Generations Church. Everybody just pray. I mean, just sing whatever you got. Uh, musicians, play anything in the world. We'll check back in about 20 minutes. Go! Yeah, everybody just, la, la. No, no, right? That would have been crazy. That'd get old pretty quick. See, Christians, it's, it's funny. It's, when you, you kind of look at church history, like Christians, like up until about 100 years ago, there's something that happened, um, did not have this modern aversion to, to praying composed prayers any more than we today have any aversion to praying composed worship songs. Was the Holy Spirit at work in me this morning when I sang to God this morning, even though I knew the lyrics, even though I didn't make up those words? Of course I would even submit this. I believe God was honored by our unity. The fact that we come together, the fact that you're not just singing in the car, the fact that you come in here, submit your own will for 20 minutes or so, and sing what everybody's singing, whatever the song is. You're just like, I don't care if I'm feeling this song or not. I'm going to sing it because I'm part of the body of Christ and we are standing together before the throne room of God in worship. He's worth it. It's really not about whether this is my favorite song or not. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I think God is actually honored by that. He's honored by that. Mm. I have lost my place. <laughs> yeah. All right. As I said last week, um, you can make an idol out of spontaneity. We can make an idol out of modernity. That it, you know, it's modern, so it's better. Like the people a thousand years ago, for some reason, they just had less of God. Um, but we are formed by the disciplines of prayer. As we're formed by these disciplines, we make room for better spontaneous prayer. 
That's, that's one of the things I want you to see. We make room for better improvisational prayer, for free-form prayer, for that third-verse guitar solo prayer. That gets better the more we learn, we learn the chords. Um, I'll be really honest here. Back in the day, uh, you know, even my, uh, all my super spiritual, improvisational, spontaneous prayer I was coming with on the spot, it wasn't very spontaneous and it wasn't very improvisational. It tended to be the same thing repeated over and over. And you, you find the same thing? Like you kind of say the same phrases over and over. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would blah, 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 blah. By the stripes of Jesus, Lord, we declare. You know, we say these things. And they're not bad things. Those are good. Those are like the chords you've learned. Use those chords. Um, we form them into songs. But some of the expressions we use, they've just become sort of like vain babblings. And some of them are coming from a place that's not very well formed uh, because we haven't let God change us. And so what we tend, we tend to just stay stuck. We, we're spinning our wheels because we're not being spiritually formed and our prayers just reinforce our immaturity. So we end up making the problem worse. We end up just praying the same problems that we have. You're having some kind of spiritual experience, but it's not a healthy one. I'll show you this from scripture. This is pretty cool. Remember the man went up to Jesus he was requesting Jesus do something, which qualifies as prayer, right? If you go to ask Jesus to do something, that's a prayer. So in Luke chapter 12, in verse 13, this guy comes up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what is the man thinking? He's thinking, I'm unhappy because my brother, he's not doing what I think he should do. And here's Jesus. I've heard of him. He's, he's a big deal. I'll get Jesus to be on my side and do what I want him to do. That's pretty much how we pray, right? We perceive our life. We perceive this is making me unhappy. So if this would happen, it would make me happy. So Jesus, make my brother do this, right? Give me special treatment, right? And what does Jesus do? He's like, nah, bro, I'm not going to do that. He says, who made me judge over your brother? I'm not getting involved in this, but I will talk to you about what your real problem is. Beware of greed, Beware of covetousness. And he begins to see that this man's problem is really not that his brother wouldn't do what he wanted, which is what his prayer was. His problem was that he was misshapen in his spirit, that, that he has a covetous heart. No matter even if his brother had divided the inheritance, I got a feeling that he would still not have found happiness that he's looking for. Because ultimately, the problem's not outside himself, it's in himself. Here's another one. In Luke chapter 9, the disciples... Um, they want to pray a really strong, faith-filled, powerful prayer. These disciples are ready to take authority, friend, right? They're going to call down fire from heaven on this village that was not very nice to them when they were walking by, right? Lord, you gave us authority. We're going to use it, right? Can we do it? Just, just give us the go. And Jesus rebukes them. Why? Not because they didn't have enough faith. That wasn't the problem. He rebukes them because their prayer stinks, right? It's sincere, but it's like sincerely terrible. It's a terrible prayer. It's full of boldness, but it's coming from a place that's still thinking like the world does. These disciples have not been fully reformed. Okay, so let's make this practical today. How do you begin incorporating the prayers into your spiritual walk? We're not replacing your, your time of prayer, your, your, your spontaneous time of prayer, the things you just want to say, cry from your heart, not replacing that. How do we incorporate these? Every day, you can do it anytime. I believe morning it really works best and it makes a lot of sense because formative prayers are forming you, they're forming your soul long-term. Long well, doing them in the morning actually help form your day, right? They get things kicked off on the right way. And, and what happens is when I start the day with formative prayers at this time of prayer time, that I go through. Then later in the day, when I'm in the car, when the guy cuts me off, or I meet the person that is giving me the issue, or, or I get the, you know, the, the news from the doctor, or whatever it is, then all, I, that all, when I'm coming up with those extemporaneous prayers, I'm speaking spontaneously, it's conversational, right off the cuff, I'm talking to God now, even that now is now coming from a place that has been well-formed. From, from a healthy soul, a scriptural attitude, right? So you haven't replaced your prayers from the heart, but you've given those prayers a solid foundation to build on. So the early church gives us a, a pattern. We can look at the three types of prayer you can start praying every day, and I encourage you to do this. Number one, you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Um, we, we talked about it already, Lord's Prayer, plenty. Uh, check out some past teachings on that. There's a teaching, I think, called the Lord's Prayer. Um, you can look at that up. We'll come back and unpack this some more in a future message. It is so central. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, I pray it twice daily. I pray once as the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us, just, just as he said it, because he gave us the perfect prayer. Um, and then I pray it again uh, as, uh, more from a, as a framework uh, for praying from my heart. So using my own words for each of those phrases, inserting my own prayers into each of, as a guide. Uh, for, so I pray for you, and I pray for other people, and I pray for our family. Second thing, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. The Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, um, he instructs the church to pray and worship with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The psalms are the psalms, and the hymns are the, are the songs that they, the church is actually coming up with right then. They were already coming up with these hymns. They were writing them then. And then he says in spiritual songs, that's the, that's the spontaneous worship, right? Praise the Lord with all of that, because we need it all. So what I do is I, I pray a psalm a day. Psalm a day is part of my daily prayers. There's 150 psalms. You just you could start tomorrow with Psalm 1 and go from there. When you get to day 151, you just start over, right? Makes it really easy. A couple things here. Pray in the Psalms. Remember, we are not Old Testament Israelites, right? So we're not Old Testament Israelites. We're, we're Christians in the new kingdom of God. And so I, I pray the Psalms Christocentrically, you know what I mean? Christ, I, I'm praying the words as written, but I'm also aware that now on this side of the cross of Christ, which is the center of time, this is the pivot point of the universe, is the cross, right? What Christ did changes everything. So now I'm on this side of the cross, so even, that even changes the way I go back in time and pray things before then. And so I pray and I sing the words, uh, and I pray the words, uh, and, and so if I come up, you know, when it's talking about Jerusalem or something like that, now I know this fully applies to the church. And I'm saying those words, but I know in my heart, okay, I'm, what I'm really praying for is the church. You know, church, rise up, church. You know, and when it extols the kingdom of David, what I'm reveling in now is the kingdom of God, right? Because this thing is worldwide, baby. It's not just about Israel now. It's worldwide. But I'm also still entering into those words because they're beautiful words and they're, they're emotion, the cry of the heart of those ex- original psalmists. The Psalms allow me to exist in both places at once. And if I come up to an awkward Psalm, there are some that are uh, rather, you, you read them and they're like, this doesn't sound very Jesus-y. Um, they call down fire from heaven, uh, you know, or, or ask heaven to uh, destroy my enemies and bring judgment. Uh, the word for that is imprecatory Psalms. That is the term they use. These Imprecatory just means like they call down, uh, calling for judgment. When I come to these, I don't skip it, but I also am now reading it through the lens of Christ, the same Christ who told me to pray for my enemies, right? Not call down fire from them. I pray for my enemies. So I can still enter into that cry of, of the heart of the psalmist who knows, the, the psalmist knows that his salvation comes not from his sword, but from God. So he's calling upon God, so I can call upon God just like that. Second thing, an interesting, a really cool thing about the psalms I want to encourage you to do is, is is don't worry about, well, I got to find the psalm that expresses what I feel today, right? There's psalms that we love, right? 23rd psalm, we like the 23rd psalm. The 91st psalm, we love the psalm 91. Um, you pray those every day. Those are great. You can pray those. But when you're doing this, as you're praying through the psalms, don't just pray, look for the one you feel. The purpose of the psalm is not uh, for, for, for you to express what you feel. It's to feel what the psalm expresses, in that moment. See, this is how formation works. We're letting the psalm in that moment form us. So you'll notice as you go through them, there's a lot of psalms of victory. Those are awesome. There's also psalms of lament. So even if the psalm today that you come across, if it's day 17 and you're, you're 17, um, and it's, a, it's different, it doesn't really express what I'm going through right now, I'm still being formed in the capacity for praise or lament for whatever that is, uh, so that when I need it, it's there, right? There might be days when you're going through it, you're just really sad and you're, you, feel, you feel crushed and the psalm of the day is like this joyful, you know, excited, happy psalm. You're like, boy, I don't feel this, but I'm going to pray it and it does something to you. It builds you up. It really will. It'll build up your, your soul when you need it. Um, you might be going through a time where, uh, you, you're, you know, things are going great for you. And the psalm you come to is like the psalm of lament, and it's, you know, it's crying out to God. Well, what you can do in those moments is say, well, I am praying this lament, Lord, on behalf of uh, maybe a brother or sister, a friend that I know is, is being crushed by cra- tragedy and pain and sorrow. And I know right now, Lord, they are probably just incapable of praying 
So I'm praying it for them. I'm praying this for them. Right? We stand in the gap. So we're praying the Psalms. That's what Jesus did. The Psalms would have functioned for Jesus as a prayer book. He was praying the Psalms even on the cross. His last words were coming from the Psalms. So we can do that. Okay, what else? The third thing. And this is uh, where it might be a new idea for some of you. These are the pre-written prayers that have been composed over the centuries by Christians, by the church. There's so many good ones. Uh, some, some, some of the most powerful, most formative prayers I've come across were, were composed out of the English Reformation. Uh, I'm telling you, they, you know, so there's been like five centuries of, of theological thought, and it'll just form you in a good way. Maybe the greatest gift some of those reformers gave the world is this prayer book that they, they gave us. It's shared today by millions and millions of people. But some of the prayers that I've discovered and that just, they're so, such a blessing, are way older than that. They go back just a couple thousand years. Prayers that date back to what what we know is the Desert Fathers. These are just these brilliant early Christians who lived just like a, literally just years after Jesus, a century or two after Jesus. And these guys, um, and, and remember too, this is like before there's like a Catholic church. There's no Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Lutheran, none of that. It's just the church. So don't get hung up, don't get hung up on that, okay? It's just the church, just the church. Here's why these prayers are so special. Number one, they have stood the test of time. These prayers have stood the test of time. These have been like vetted, you might say, right? They've had a lot of time for people to like look at and go, I don't know if that's so good. We're going to throw that one out, right? The community of Christ all over the world for more than 1,500 years has vetted these things as scriptural, as Christ-centered, powerfully formative. So you're not praying some like, you know, goofy prayer that has nothing to do with Jesus that just some Yahoo on YouTube came up with, right? You can trust these words. You can trust them. They're based on scripture. They have been tried and found true. And, and B, here's why these prayers are so valuable to incorporate uh, in your prayer life. They require you to sacrifice. And I admit they will. Especially in the beginning, they require you to sacrifice, to crucify. There's some, the, the, the self-centered, egotistical voice in my head that screams for self-expression above all. Uh, they help us to crucify the tendency to idolize modernity, to idolize the new for newness sake, uh, which can lead to pride. None of us should be so prideful as to just dismiss the, the spiritual giants, I'm telling you, who came from centuries back, who, who sat, these guys sat and prayed and fasted sometimes for years at a time, uh, under, uh, went so much sacrifices so that, they, so that God could use them to receive from God, that he could use them to teach us something. Let, let us be free from any kind of modern arrogance or obsession with self, um, and how God should be really impressed with what a unique little snowflake I am. These prayers, they force, they, they enforce a kind of a humility on us, and they do. Um, it says that I don't need to be the one worshiper in the throne room that God notices above all. It, it says that I can, I, can be part of, I can be part of the body. It enforces a humility. I can be part of the body, that we are all in this together. I don't have to stick out and be extra special for God to see me and hear me and love me and hear my prayer. I can pray and allow his spirit to form me into what he wants me to be rather than make all my prayers about trying to get him to reform his will for me. I also love these prayers too because uh, they unite us with the saints. We're reunited not just with people living alive today. We're united with the saints, the believers throughout all of the church, all the time. There's, there's this mysterious unity in praying words that have been prayed to God for centuries. And they cross denominational lines. They cross tribal lines. They cross uh, labels. They, they transport us uh, from the boundaries of our sort of postmodern uh, paradigm to, to give us a new perspective. They really do. They give us fresh new words too. Praying these words, uh, these, these prayers have given me just, you know, practically speaking, new phrases, new words that I never would have come up with. I, you know, I'm not that creative. They give me these new phrases and I find these phrases creeping up now in my improvisational guitar solo prayers, you know, because uh, like, it's like a new chord that the Lord is teaching me. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. If we don't allow spontaneous prayers, though, to be undergird by spiritual formation, that our prayers become thin, they become shallow, one-dimensional. They can be sensational without any real depth. There's this mighty river of prayer, guys, out there for us to draw water from. Literally thousands of ancient prayers. We've got a few minutes. I want to give you a few examples of a few that have been really a blessing to me. This is one known as the prayer to the crucified Christ. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross. 
that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit, that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. I've been praying that since we've been talking about the Lord of the Harvest. That's my morning Lord of the Harvest prayer right there. Here's another one. It's called the Prayer of Thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we give you humble thanks for your goodness and loving kindness to us and all whom you have made. This is so good to remind us, even on days when things are going badly, and to make me grateful. Lord, I need to be thankful for stuff. We bless you for our creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life, above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's praying him for, praising him for what he has done. And for the means of grace, that, that's what he's doing now. And for the hope of glory, that's what he will do. I'm praising him for all these things. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies, Lord, that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives. Make me live this out, Lord, by giving up ourselves to your service, by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all my days. Lord, lead us not to temptation. Lead me into your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom you with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all the ages. Amen. That is a dangerous prayer, I'm telling you what. You pray that, and that starts to work on you. You start to mean that prayer, watch out, because the Lord will take you at your word. Amen. This is the prayer... Um, Attributed to uh, Ambrose of Milan. This is from the year 339. My goodness. O Lord, who hast mercy upon all, take away from me my sins. Mercifully kindle in me the fire of the Holy Spirit. Come on, bring it, Lord. Take away from me this heart of stone. Give me a heart of flesh, a heart to love and adore thee, a heart to delight in thee, to follow and to enjoy thee for Christ's sake. Mm. You see how this is formative? I'm not just saying, gimme, 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 gimme. Here's my list. I've been a good boy. No, change me, Lord God. Here's one when it's time to when it's time to repent, which is very often for me. I don't know about for you. Here's a good one. It's a confession of sin. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. But what we have done, but what we have left undone. Uh-oh. How often are we repenting for what we didn't do? Come on, man. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And I know that's true, Lord. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. You notice all the we language here too. There's a lot of we language. That's one of those things that's going to be humbling to you because you're going to be like, I want to make this about me. But you know what? A lot of this is, it's like crucifying the pride. It's crucifying the self. And it's reminding us that we are part of the body for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. In the glory of your name, amen. There are so many. Other facets of this kind of prayer, uh, this is like a whole series, really, we should have taken, but I don't know, I've just uh, unloaded a bunch on you this morning. We don't have time. But hopefully this will help get you started, get you thinking, right? Get you wrestling. That's cool. If it's just getting you wrestling, get you thinking. Um, uh, I this will enrich your prayer life. Adding to your spiritual walk with Jesus in some bold new ways, this is, is formative goodness. It's fresh and it's ancient at the same time, isn't it? It's humbling, but it's empowering. Uh, it's, it's strange and familiar. Uh, oh my goodness, I get excited about this because I know the growth, the change it's begun in me, what it can begin in you. I would challenge you to try this. Just try this for a few weeks, and I promise you, you'll be blessed by experiencing the new you wrought about by ancient prayers. There can be a new you from old, old prayers. How about that? Like, let's close in prayer this morning, and um, I think it would be appropriate it would be fitting as I do this. I'm going to pray from another ancient prayer today, something we don't often do, uh, but this is one that's beloved by millions, composed almost a thousand years ago. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.
it doesn't get much more Christ-centered and life-giving than that right there. Amen. Well, stand to your feet, will you, with me? As our prayer partners are coming forward, if there is anything that you need prayer for this morning, I encourage you to come down. Let these guys pray with you. Whatever it is going on in your life, they'd love to pray with you. If you want to say yes to Jesus today for the first time, they would love to lead you in that prayer, lead you in that next right step. You don't have to do that on your own. There's somebody here. We do this in community, right? This whole, this whole Jesus life thing we're doing here, this kingdom life, we do it in community. We're all together in this. We're in this together. Hallelujah. Uh, just a reminder, we've got water baptism that's happening right after the service. Come and celebrate with us if you'd like to. That'll be happening over here here. If you're not uh, celebrating with us, we'll just ask you to take your, maybe your conversations out into the hallway because we're going to be having a good time over here. Amen. So my friends, may the Lord, as Adeline would tell you today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May you make his face to shine upon you in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Amen.